Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Hello, today we have Casey McCaffrey from Expansion Speech. And Casey and I have known each other for several years. I think we did a Facebook Live together way back when. Yeah, uh, how to start cup drinking, I believe, is what our topic was back in the day. Right. Well, I'm so happy you joined us again. And we just want to learn a little bit more about the SLP's role in um, infant feeding. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am one of the co-owners of Expansion Speech Therapy, and I am a speech-language pathologist uh, who specializes in feeding and swallowing for infants all the way up through the lifespan. And I'm also a certified lactation counselor, um, but I love my IBCLCs because you guys know so much and it's so valuable. Um, And so our role for feeding and swallowing, especially with our infants, is um, education, counseling, Um, Really making sure that families feel empowered to know what choices they have, um, how therapy can impact positively or negatively their child. We are looking at the oral motor function. And so we have specialized training in infant anatomy um, of the mouth, pharynx, um, basically the abdomen up is really our specialty area. So a lot of times, especially with our, our medically complex infants, we will be assessing what is safe for them to swallow, what positions they need, what therapeutic techniques they need. Do we need to try a different flow, a different flow rate of a bottle or do we need to thicken a liquid for optimal safety? And then all the way up through solids. Um, we also promote breastfeeding as well, but every family has, um, you know, has a variety of reasons why they choose to breastfeed or not. Um, we are very much um, mom first and empowering and, and really um, educating families the benefits behind breast milk. So, um, and that's part of my CLC training as well. Um, and so we will see babies who are having trouble at the breast. Um, maybe we're going to be looking at their anatomical structures to see if there's anything going on there, or maybe a mom wants to wean, but baby won't take a bottle. So we're looking at that. Um, so we really have a, a large role to play. Um, and it really depends on, on what we're looking at. Yeah, so um, who refers to you? Would it be a pediatrician or I know sometimes we refer to you? <laughs> yes, our wonderful IBCLCs refer to us. Um, sometimes we'll get referrals from ENT so um, or otolaryngologists or gastroenterologists. We get a lot of referrals from, um, we get a and ton so what of are referrals. They, what are they seeing? Sure. So with ENT, um, there could be a baby that has a cleft lip, a cleft palate, a submucosal cleft. Um, ENT is really ear, nose, throat, right? Um, And so if there's any swallowing problems, they're going to notice it um, and they might refer to us. Um, We see a lot of babies who have swallow dysfunction from our ENTs, but I would say more Prevalently are our gastroenterologists who are referring to us. So babies who are coming in that have um, reflux or constipation, or they are complaining to their GI about feeding problems. Um, they, they might have a milk soy protein allergy or EOE or FPIs or a, a variety of things that makes feeding really difficult for infants. So a lot of times we might see a baby, right? Their reflux is pretty common in infants, um, but we have a lot of projectile or just consistent spit up. What can happen sometimes with our babies is that they end up getting a feeding aversion, right? Because they're hungry, they want to eat, they start to eat, then their reflux starts, and then they come off. So we might a baby come in from GI because they are failure to thrive or slow weight gain, um, in addition to all of those other diagnoses that we talked about. Um, We've gotten referrals from psychologists for our older kids too, um, dentists. You name it, we kind of we have the the gamut of referrals, which is is nice. 
yeah, that's interesting. Um, tell me, what does F pie stand for again? I know I've. Oh, I had a client that. whose baby had F pies. Food protein induced enterocolitis. Oh, geez, that doesn't sound yeah. fun. And it's like the, she couldn't even tolerate breast milk formula. It was an amino acid formula. That's what she had to go to. This mom. And this child yeah, could can, breastfeed wonderfully, but bleh, it all came back every time she'd eat. I mean, like ruined my shoes, like bleh, <laughs> everywhere. It was so hard. Yeah, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. It's it's, and I really feel for the parents in that instance, right? Because one of the things we see is like, what do you do with a baby? You you care for your baby, yeah. and one of the ways parents, moms really care for their infants is by feeding them. And then it feels counterproductive because every time I feed my child, they end up vomiting and it turns into a really traumatic experience for everyone involved. Um, and, and that's really, it's, it's heartbreaking and we're here to help um, along with their medical team, right? Like just because I'm an ethyl, I can make, wave my magic wand and I'm going to fix F pies. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to have to go through gastroenterology and help and figure out what formula or what dietary restrictions mom might need um, in order to continue breastfeeding. And then we're going to work on positioning and acceptance and tolerance and not forcing. And um, so there's a, it's a long, long road, but it can be done. Oh, I think we're glitching a little bit. We'll see if she comes back. There. Oh, there you, you go. Yeah. <laughs> we, we glitched. You froze for me. Yeah. There we go. I got you back. Okay, we got you back too. Um, and what was the other thing I was thinking before the glitch happened? Oh, I was working with someone who's was exclusively pumping, and she she's a great pumper. She was getting like thirty five ounces out, and the baby was taking all of it, and the baby wasn't gaining weight. And I was this was we were talking about it through oh. a um, virtual support group. And I'm looking at the baby and I'm like, the cheeks looked really red. And I'm like, how does your baby's cheeks feel? And she's like, oh, they're really dry. She's really dried out. And I'm like, you know, let's let's look into food allergy. You know, can you do a dairy intolerance uh, or a dairy-free diet for a little while? And, you know, talk to your pediatrician about those patches. And um, she went off of dairy and the baby actually slowed the intake down to a more normal level of like 25 ounces a day and started gaining weight. Crazy, so, right? Yeah, what is it about the food allergy that causes them yeah. to have difficulty gaining? <laughs> sure. So when a baby has a food allergy, what happens, right? The body works in conjunction, right? It's not one piece is isolated. And so when a baby has a food protein allergy, and a lot of times with our infants, we see that with dairy, or soy, those are our two common ones. There are more to the top eight allergens, but usually it's the dairy and soy that um, kind of hit heavy and hard as with infants. And so what happens is while they're consuming the food proteins that they have an intolerance to, um, their gut gets really inflamed um, and really irritated. And so a lot of times, one of the first things those parents might see are eczema patches on the skin, um, and that's one of the things, like the skin usually tells you what's going on inside of the body. So when I, I, that's one of my questions I always ask, does your baby have eczema or sensitive skin, itchy skin? But when they're consuming those food proteins, what ends up happening is that their entire GI system gets really swollen, really inflamed. You might see um, mucus in their stools. You might see really, really runny stools. You might see blood in the stools. Um, and so what happens is because the gut is so inflamed and irritated, you end up getting a malabsorption of nutrients. So mm -hmm. while that baby was, could consume 30, 35 ounces to try and take in what they need, they weren't really absorbing what they needed because their whole GI system was inflamed. And so luckily for that child, what happened is mom reduced the dairy intolerance and or not reduced the dairy intolerance, but the dairy intake. Yeah. The gut was able to heal. Baby went back to taking a more appropriate sized uh, volume for them and then started putting on weight. Yeah, it was cool. Um, how quickly it resolved everything. Right. <laughs> her sleep, her, her uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think another like feeding difficulty we see sometimes that um, I know I could probably use some more tricks 
um, in my pocket is the Lar uh, Larango Malaysia. Oh, it's so tricky. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, you typically hear the baby squeaking and having difficulty breathing and, and popping off to catch their breath during the feedings. And um, I struggle sometimes with finding the right song and dance to help them. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's interesting. What helps one baby for breastfeeding um, doesn't always help the other baby. Right. It really depends upon what's happening. And so, um, what I, like I tell families a lot, is that our body's number one job is to breathe. Right? It's not to eat. It's not to have a bowel movement. It's not you know we have to breathe in order to function. And so, what's happening with a lot of our babies with tracheomalacia, laryngomalacia? It's that cartilage that is. Um, softening and closing. And so effectively, they're, they're not really being able to breathe, which is why we hear those that strider or that squeaking sound. Um, so it depends. Some babies need a little bit more of an upright positioning. Like I'll find, depending upon their age, they do better with a koala hold. Yeah. Um, or even sometimes um, completely side-lying with, with mom um, can be really helpful or a laid-back posture. Um, I find some of our babies with laryngomalacia do have a harder time controlling that suck, swallow, breathe mm -hmm. um, when mom has a letdown. Yeah. So sometimes um, either hand expressing or, or pumping through a letdown so then they can easily, more easily control the flow rate. Um, that's a lot of times when I see our babies popping off because they're just having that hard time controlling how much milk is coming in at that moment. Um, so we'll work on positioning. We'll work on... Um, you know, reading baby's cues, trying to figure that out. Um, and then also they're going to have to go to ENT. Some, most babies outgrow laryngomalacia or tracheomalacia. It will harden up by one year of age. But unfortunately there are some babies that do need surgery. And I have one on my caseload that has needed three surgery oh. surgeries. And um, we're still trying to figure out what is going on with his airway. So he's a little bit more complex, but mom has been successfully able to breastfeed, which has been really, really wow. great. And when she can't breastfeed because he's struggling, she is pumping and bottle feeding. And so we work on where do we position him for bottle feeding? What nipple do we use? What's most optimal there? So that's been a hard story, but also a success story at the same time for this parent. Yeah. I also love because a lot of the times the mothers have figured out that position on their yeah. own just from like trial and error and like this isn't working and it's just amazing what you find people do. I always um, amazed by the babies who ha have really bad issues with reflux and what the parents have done to coerce this baby to latch and stay on uh, is just blows my mind sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, the creativity is is out there, right? It's a miracle to see what some of these families do to really support their kids. And so hopefully our job, along with yours, is to make it a little bit easier for them. Yeah. And um, any other uh, feeding issues that you see commonly? I would say most often it is anybody with our GI comorbidities, any of our premature infants too, we see a lot from um, the NICU that come to us. Um, and, and that can be really challenging because their suck, swallow, breathe is, is so difficult. I think there's been a really big push um, for families to be able to breastfeed in the NICU as able, which I see, you know, you know 10 plus years like they came home and they were bottle fed. Right. Um, yeah, I think and, you're glitching uh, out a little bit again. I'm just Well, gonna... I understand that what we do know from our research is to oxygenate better at the breast. So if we can get them to breast and help them breastfeeding, that's awesome. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see that a ton. I remember when I first started in this business, they used to say in the NICU that, you know, oh, the baby. Oh, no, we're glitching again. Oh, can you hear us now? Maybe we should turn off our videos. I'm going to turn off my video, even though I prefer to see you. That sometimes helps. Um, I remember when I first started in this business that they, they, in the NICU setting, used to say, oh, they expend way... You were saying they started with the NICU? Pardon me? Will you remind, um, repeating what you were saying about when you first started in this line of business and being in the NICU. Could you? Yeah. The, um, 
the nurses and neonatologists used to say that the babies would, you know, expend so many more calories breastfeeding than bottle feeding. And now, of course, we know differently. Um, and it's nice, you know, during my career to see those changes occur where it wasn't just about getting the milk supply going and making sure the baby gets human milk, but really working on breastfeeding before they go home. Yeah, I love to be able to see that and for families to feel supported in their decision. And what we know too is from uh, from their GI perspective is that babies tolerate breast milk so much better than um, formula, depending upon the case, you know, if there's not something medical going on that allows them or doesn't allow them to tolerate certain proteins in the milk. Right. Um, but it, it's nice that families are given that option and we're really pushing for that, um, for what works best for mom and for baby. And yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and I'm sure like for the babies who have like low tone, um, uh-huh. you know, I'm always like, well, do we go to SLP or do we go to PT or do we go to OT? Yeah, I think that's our biggest, like, who do we go to when? It's so it's so challenging sometimes. Yeah. It is, it is really challenging sometimes. Um, and so really... Sometimes you can't go wrong, right? Sometimes right. you can um, you can go to all three and it's the right choice depending upon what's going on. So I'm thinking about sometimes our babies who have Down syndrome that we know are going to need a lot of care from the beginning, right? Because um, in our children with Down syndrome, we know that low tone is pretty prevalent throughout the body. Um, so that's one where you can't go wrong. And truly, as long as a professional is really trained in pediatric feeding and swallowing, um, they are a great provider. What I love about OT is OT can address body tone, body tension, torticollis um, regulation because sometimes our babies get dysregulated, and so we can te- they can teach our parents how to understand their child's cues, and then also work on feeding. SLP is really going to work a ton on the oral motor mechanics. So if there is an oral function issue, right? So maybe our latch isn't as wide, or we have reduced jaw grating, or our tongue cupping isn't what it should be. Um, we're going to work on all of that with our families. And then PT, I would say, works a ton on body tension. So mm-hmm. you know those babies, you can they come in for an evaluation or um, consult with you, and their shoulders are up to their ears, and they have really tight clenched fists all the time. We get them all the time. Have, yep, every day. Yeah, and they have a, a, a side preference, or they're so irritable in the car seat, right? Like, I hear that from parents all the time. I can never get them in the car. They're miserable. Most of the time, there's probably some underlying tension. And so physical therapy is going to be a really great call to go to. But so are our occupational therapy colleagues. And what's lovely about this area is we have so many wonderful providers who are versed in all of that, that you can't quite go wrong. Yeah. Um, and and so that can be tricky for you guys. But, you know, I, I, I always believe in being honest with families like, hey, I think you could benefit from speech and PT or OT and then kind of parsing it out because our jobs as professionals, too, is to make sure that we're referring to the professionals that they need to see. So if somebody comes in for me and maybe I notice a ton of body tension, which is resulting in some oral motor dysfunction, I might refer them out to physical therapy or occupational therapy and have them check back in with me in a couple of weeks. Just because you are referred to me doesn't mean I'm going to keep you on program um, forever in a day. It means we're going to get down to the nitty gritty and why your baby is having a hard time. And we're going to refer you to the right professional. So I wouldn't be worried about referring to the wrong people. We're going to get them where they need to go. Right. Sounds good. Yeah. There is a lot of overlap (laughs) in, um, in, the skill set. Yeah. For that, PTOG uh, speech. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there is. It, and, and sometimes that can be confusing. Um, and what I would say, like our OT colleagues are super great with sensory. I would say speech is really good at that oral motor coordination, strength, range of motion. And PT is so great with that gross motor um, component too. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then of course, you know, the other thing that's happening um, in the world right now is, you know, using SLPs or OTs and PTs to help after, um, before and after a tongue tie has been revised. Yes. Yep. Um, and so 
what is your preference? You know, we we had a tongue tie symposium with how many? 70, 70, uh, 70 healthcare providers. Um, and, you know, just to discuss, when do you want to see somebody? Right, yeah. who, who goes first? You know, who came first, the chicken or the egg? So um, who, who do you feel should be working with the families first before, let's say, before they get to a revision? Sure. So I think it really is so dependent upon each family and each infant feeding dyad, right? Like what is going on? If baby has a really terrible side preference, they're not able to move their head. They are fisted and really super tight. Um, their shoulders are in their ears um, and they're having feeding difficulties. I want them to see physical therapy because and or occupational therapy mm -hmm. because if we can reduce some of that body tension yeah what we might end up seeing is improved oral motor coordination right again i said that earlier is that the body does not work in isolation it all works in conjunction and if we are super tight all of our muscles all the way from our face down to our toes are going to be a little bit tight especially for our infants and so if we can reduce some of that tension that's great um, sometimes I will have parents come to me first and say, you know, my, ba my baby can't breastfeed or my baby's having trouble bottle feeding and they're clicking and they're losing and they're not taking a ton of um, milk or formula in and I'm not sure what to do and we're losing weight. And so I will never turn that family away. I'm going to try and work on positioning with them and some strategies to help them and look at the oral motor work. But if I do think that they might benefit from a revision, I will usually ask them to go see their body worker. So whether that is a physical therapist or a craniosacral therapist or a chiropractor, a few days before they go to their consult with maybe ENT or pediatric dentistry, because what we know is if we can reduce some of that body tension, we actually get better, better surgical outcomes. So, you know, um, it's always tricky. Each case is individualized. But what I've found um, is that when we can have therapy pre and post um, a release, we have better outcomes generally. Yes. So less reattachment, improve skill um and that comes from not only giving a, a baby more range of motion through through the release but then also teaching them how to use that range of motion and how to get that strength from where they need it yeah i think the difficulty we have in referring is that many providers in our area don't accept insurance uh so it's all out-of-pocket pay what what's going on at uh expansion speech uh are you guys accepting insurance or is it out of pocket we we are out of pocket too um so insurance was tricky we used to be in network with a couple of prominent um insurance companies and um they were way overdue in payment to us um so much so that we weren't able to operate um so and we didn't have the legal fees at the time to really kind of pursue what was owed to us oh. so that is a big barrier um and i know that can be really challenging for families um there are um ways that we can can help families ease that financial burden we always tell our families hey listen we know it's really tough i'm a mom of two and i, I get that i can't always afford private pay services so we will lead them to early intervention we will lead them to other providers that accept insurance but we also are um, starting our own scholarship fund that way no matter what somebody's financial situation is that they can be seen through us um so that is one exciting thing that we have going on okay. um we also will help families get in touch with early intervention um, How far and guide them for what to be looking through. And then we actually um, partner with some of the IUs locally so that we, they can see us um, if they cannot find an intermediate unit provider. So um, we, we will contract with them as well. And an intermediate unit is? So and locally, we have the Chester County Intermediate Unit, the Delaware County Intermediate Unit, the Bucks County Intermediate Unit, and the Montgomery County Intermediate Units. And so an intermediate unit, how many times can I say that, um, <laughs> is for our children who are a little bit older. So they usually are three, so three to five programming, and they run special education services, wraparound services. They're really a nice hub for families, depending upon what county they live in, to look at for services. Um, 
And we can also get families, depending upon where they live, what county they're in, we can give them names of early intervention companies. Um, so that zero to three for all the population we're talking about right now that have some SLPs, OTs, and PTs that are specially trained in feeding and tongue tie and all of the things. So even if we're not the right fit for a family, we're always going to help them get to where they need to be. And I, I thought the, the concern with early intervention is that it may take a while to get it set up. Is that true or can it happen pretty quickly? It depends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes it can be really quick, but a lot of times with the intermediate units, it can take a few months to get somebody in because they have to be um, seen within, I think it's 60 calendar days. I might be wrong on my legal timeline, so I'll have to double check that for you guys. But usually an intermediate unit or early intervention has 60 up to 60 days to evaluate. And then after those 60 days, they have 30 days to implement an IEP or an IFSP for family. So for our families who don't know, an IFSP is an individualized family plan. So it might be for your three-month-old daughter, let's say. Um, and what that plan would look like is, hey, Georgia needs to improve her feeding and swallowing skills so that she can successfully breastfeed. That might be the goal. And then they will fit you with a provider, whether that is um, occupational therapy or speech uh, speech language pathologist, to fulfill those services. Got it. Um, but that and what can what can be tricky with EI is that and and this is what I tell all of my families and it's not just early intervention it could be anywhere you always want to ask your therapist whether it is SLP OT or PT what their specialty training is and how comfortable they feel um, because our our infants matter and they deserve a really great quality care um, and so I always want families to feel empowered to know what to ask what to look for um, and, and gain a therapist that um, has the skills and expertise that that family needs. Yeah, um, it's gotta be difficult. I'm sure they have a huge yeah. group. Can, can anyone, is that something that we as, you know, lactation consultants, can we encourage that to parents to like reach out to early intervention if we're seeing concerns? Like we do yeah, have a fairly large yeah. Medicaid population here. so. For most of, for a lot of our families, they, you know, it's, it would, they can't afford the self-pay. So like encouraging a family with a two-month-old who's really having all of these tension issues or feeding issues, is that, is that appropriate for us to encourage that? Yeah. And families can self-refer, um, okay. you know, to early intervention too. You don't need to be referred by an IBCLC or an SLP okay. or even their pediatrician. That is great. And I always want our medical teams on board, but families are more than welcome to find the early intervention provider for the county that they live in and request an evaluation. And so that's absolutely something that you can encourage families to do. Okay. Um, but it could take yeah, 60 and days, right? 60 to be yeah, seen, it can take a, for it, a plan, right? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it can, it can take a little bit of time. Um, and so that can be really frustrating um, to not get the service right away when you need it. Um, and, you know, we over here at Expansion Speech Therapy always tell our families, like, if there is a financial concern, please let us know. Um, we serve um, reduced rates. We give pro bono services monthly. So um, we really want to make sure that the community is supported and gets the help that they need as soon as they need it and then we can help get them to some of their providers as well if we're not the long-term fit and um how much does a session cost so it really depends on your provider and who you're going to um for us an evaluation is for feeding and swallowing is 250 dollars, and it is anywhere between 60 to 120 minutes. Baby is not eating for that entire time. But what we really want to do is make sure we do a thorough case history. We get to observe a feeding. We get to try some interventions and then writing up some of our reports so that families have actionable items to lead with. So these are our recommendations. This is what you're going to do. This is who you're going to call if we need a referral. So that takes a little bit more time. And then our feeding therapy sessions are anywhere between 45 to 60 minutes, and they are 125. And again, if there is a family that is in dire need, I always ask families to reach out to us so that we can help them. 
great. And obviously the number of sessions is going to vary, but you definitely are going to have two. Yeah, <laughs> right? probably, yeah. Yeah, you're definitely going to have two. Um, we, I will see babies all the way up from weekly to bi-weekly to one time a month, depending upon like what exactly is happening. So an example of this is we had a, a little three-month-old come in two months ago, I guess, and they came in for an evaluation um, and they were being seen by GI and there was a lot of um, aversion and, and reflux and a ton of stuff going on with this little kid, including some oral motor dysfunction. And so we helped parents with a few strategies and we said, hey, do us a favor, check back in in a month. These are the things we want you to work towards. Um, call us, text us, email us if you have any questions in the meantime, and we'll jump on a call. They came in a month later. Family was super diligent. Um, GI, you know, reflux was being managed. Everything looked good. And then he was done. Yeah. So yeah. just because you're going to a therapist doesn't mean you're going to be on program for forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just so the insurance is so frustrating. Uh, you know, yeah. we have an OT here. Um, but she's also an IBCLC. And awesome. so we bill her as an IBCLC because right. she gets paid appropriately, right. which right. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it can be really frustrating. So um, especially for our, our therapists who have advanced training in um, infant feeding and swallowing, we've spent a lot of time and education perfecting our craft and, and making sure that we service families um, in the most ethical and evidence-based researched way. Um, and that is not inexpensive. So it's hard when insurance companies um, don't provide therapists or IBCLCs or even, you know, medical physicians for that matter, um, a rate that, that people can live off of. Um, yeah. and, and so that, that's a huge a barrier. Um, really not, right? <laughs> we'd like to be able yeah, to, this is that, that's a conversation for another time, yeah, but right, yeah. it, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, any other topics you want to discuss with us that, um, so yeah, I do. Okay. If you have a minute, <laughs> sure. Love. Um, so one of the things I think that SLP is really good with, too, is um, we can see infants um, right along with our IBCLC colleagues and our OT colleagues. But I think what else we're really skilled with is helping families transition to solids or if an infant when they're six nine, 12 months are really struggling with eating solid foods. That is something that is especially in our wheelhouse that we can help with. And I, I love that. Um, I love the weaning stage in terms of adding complementary foods, not stopping breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's really fun and we can empower a lot of families through that. Yeah, that can be very difficult for some kids. They're just, they have an aversion or they're right. they're gagging on the food or. <laughs> yeah, and I think sometimes when kids are not like, you know, six month olds aren't that interested in foods and then at seven months they're not interested, then eight, then nine, it just becomes even more and more challenging to get them to eat. And sometimes parents think, oh, they just don't want it. And you're like, no, nope, they kind of need it. And it's sometimes it's hard as a lactation consult consultant to, you know, figure out what exactly is going on. Because sometimes parents just think, oh, he just doesn't like solids. <laughs> when yeah. in fact, something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Solids yeah. And I think what, what is really hard too, for a lot of our families and and of course they wouldn't know this if the, this isn't their area of expertise, right? Is like, we really have a critical timeline for um, assisting kids learning how to, to chew. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually like, I like to have um, anything that kids need to eat. So a dissolvable solid, a meltable solid, um, a soft solid, any of those things. I love them introduced by at least seven months of age. Um, because what we know is, from our research and data is that between seven to 10 months of age, if a baby is not learning how to chew those foods, it makes it exponentially harder for them later on down the line. Um, and so we really have that critical timeline of we want to introduce a variety of not only fruits, vegetables, proteins, but textures so that yeah. they learn how to chew efficiently and effectively. Otherwise, what can happen is we have our kids who 
are refusing a ton of foods um, because they can't chew it and then they're gagging and really uncomfortable. So my general rule of thumb is by if your child is really struggling with solids by seven to eight months, it's time for intervention um, because we want to make sure that we get the help within that critical timeline so it's not harder for them later down the line. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I love the baby-led weaning approach because it allows babies to experience all the different textures and um, it just, I think, is so much more well-rounded than yeah. just I doing the I did a consult. Purees. I'll never forget. It, it had to be close to 10 years ago. The baby came out. Baby. It was like a 15-month-old and she was only doing the squeezable yeah. pouches. And she was oh. referred by her daycare of all things, right? <sighs> Um, to us, the baby was like, you know, nursing twice a day or something. And they're like this, the parent, they encouraged the parents to come here to talk about, you know, trying other foods. And uh, this kid was like 15, 16 months old and she only sucked. (laughs) I I don't think I'm the right person for this. Like I can give you some suggestions if, you know, this is beyond my scope of practice. way beyond, like, I was like, wow, you never, like, they just... Yeah. I've always said I find parents who are so insistent on like the like starting with purees and staying with purees and and maybe I'm wrong in this in this thought process but you know maybe you can clarify it Casey. I always remember someone telling me, you know, what's the hardest thing to swallow, right? Is like thin liquids. Not the hardest thing, but the most challenging, right? Or thin liquids. And so when we take pureed foods, it's kind of like a thickened liquid. And so is that a step back when they're taking solids? When they can so easily, not not taking a step back, but like, what is, do you know where I'm going with this? Like if they can swallow and manage thin liquids, yeah. yeah. Why are we doing purees? I I do like purees. So I'm going to caveat with this in that I'm never an either or type of therapist. I really think the, the beauty is in the gray areas. Um, and so I really encourage all families to do baby led weaning if that's what they are comfortable with. But I always like to caveat that, like, I am a fully functioning adult and you are never going to take my yogurt or mashed potatoes away from me. Like, you're just, it's just not going to happen. I'm going to eat them for the rest of my life. Well, that's part of baby led weaning. I, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Mashed potatoes. Right, yeah, but this is, a, this is a thing that I think sometimes families have a misunderstanding about is that they can't give them purees. And so I like to tell families like, no, you can give them purees through baby led weaning. We just want to make sure that we advance the textures too. We don't just stay with the purees. And so I would like to tell those families who are a little bit resistant or want to start with a rice cereal who don't want to do the whole foods approach um, is that you can do baby led weaning with spoons, with purees. What we really want to teach is that they are, you're going to give them the control. We're going to give them the spoon. We're going to allow them to self-feed. So I'm big on the rules of three, right? Like I like to keep three spoons with me at all time if family wants to do a puree. So that way I can constantly rotate out and baby can self-feed. Um, once families get comfortable with those and a hard munchable, so right, like our marker-sized celery sticks or our marker-sized carrot sticks or maybe, um, a you know, a drumstick bone so that they can get that that chewing down, right? And, and really feeling what it feels like in their mouth and moving that texture, helping that gag reflex move back. Then I'll tell families, okay, so here's our next step is we're going to go to a thicker mash with some small lumps or a multiple solid, like a bomba or a puff or a teething wafer or something that's really, really soft. So like avocado strips or half of an avocado. And that way they learn that when they're introduced to something bigger and they start to chew, they get all of those different textures and feelings. And um, I think sometimes parents are confused, like, shouldn't I give them something that's really, really small um, when we start solids? And I always like to go with the baby led weaning approaches. Well, no, we want to go bigger because it gives them more control. And we want to think about how small an infant's airway is, right? So sometimes bigger is better because they'll be able to control it a little bit more. They won't gag as much. Um, It's less of a choking hazard. And so those are some of the things I think parents are confused about when they hear the term baby led weaning. They don't truly understand what it all entails or what it all looks like. And I know you guys are really supportive of that. So I would love to hear your feedback on some of that. I, I the the approach is just so sensible to me and yes the smaller the the younger the baby the larger the food pieces and not only it's because 
they need to pick them up with their whole fist instead of just their fingers at a young age. So it has to be big for them to grab it themselves. Um, but yes, yeah. we, we actually, one of our podcast episodes is with the author of the original Baby Led Weaning, The Essential Guide. Um, and That's amazing! Yeah, yeah. She's, she's fun. Um, and they have a new book out uh, for baby led weaning for um, infants with disabilities. So if they have, um, you know, low tone or preemies, um, they have a new book out specifically for them. That's awesome. The adaptive baby led weaning approach. And I'm, uh, I'm looking it up right now because it's yeah, look, really interesting. Look it up right now. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. Maybe it is that. That one. Nope. Oh, no. Nope. You have to search by the, um, oh, the, author. the author's name, which it's the, it's both of them. Yeah, Gil Rapley. It's the other author. Oh my goodness, I can't. <laughs> Let's see. Did we find it? <laughs> which one uh, is it? Um, Tracy? I, they're both on it. Oh, okay. Wow, weird. Up? Yeah. I just Googled it the other day. That's um, okay. Tracy Marquette is the other author, yeah. author, I think. Yes, you are correct. Let me try that. Tracy Marquette. Uh, And yes, because I have the original, the original book in my office. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's so weird. I just saw it the other day because I was, I'm doing, I'm speaking about baby oh, led. Is it, is, it, is it your baby can self-feed too? Is it that one? Uh... Yeah, that's what it is. Your baby can self-feed too, an adapted baby led weaning for children with developmental delays or other feeding that's challenges. That's it. That's your it. Baby. What? We did it. It's showing up on Amazon. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Uh, your baby can self-feed to adapted baby led. Well, we've been having this trouble all day long searching for products. We're trying to create bags in the NICU for pumping moms. <laughs> we're, oh, my gosh. And we're Googling the exact same thing and coming up with different products. <laughs> but, yes. Oh, doesn't that drive you nuts? Yes. Um, but yeah, this is a wonderful series too um, that you may want to get your hands on. I don't have this one. I have the original book. So I, I already put this one in my Amazon cart to get it tomorrow. So it, it shall be here. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I just love that um, SLPs and OTs have really, you know, entertain the idea of working with breastfeeding families because it's somewhat newer. And I think um, we have a relationship with Salus University who has an SLP and an OT program. And so, you know, the BRC is a spot where they can do an internship. And that's really where we first saw that years ago that wow we can really connect together and and work well together so it's it's very fun yeah it's amazing it is it's a, it's a lot of fun and, and you know I if I didn't have great uh IBCLCs to help me with my breastfeeding journey um for both of my daughters um I think I I wouldn't have been so interested in going down the path that I'm on now yeah yeah, I'm sure you said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> this yeah. is all kind Louisa of... Louisa helped me out with my second daughter quite a bit. We yeah. struggled a little bit there at the beginning, so... I think we're seeing a lot of... I know people that I've just interacted... In, interact with, with OTs and PTs, like, they've all gone this path because of their own experience, you know? One of the PTs we work with, he was like, had nothing to do with babies, and now it's it's his whole practice pretty much is babies and pre and post phrenotomy and, and just infants that he's just like, where did this come from? But it came from his own experience. And we see it with ROT here at the office. I think that that's what got, you know, Nancy doing what she's doing to become a lactation consultant from her own experience. We've seen a lot of Yeah, that. I think it's so formative. 
right? Like there's always a reason why we choose certain paths in life. And, and, you know, I had two little girls and, um, you know, I was interested in feeding and following even before I was a mom. Um, and then as I was pregnant, I really started to focus on, okay, well, I know I want to breastfeed. And so that started me down the journey of getting my CLC and, and learning more and how I can support my families. And then I ended up having a daughter that had a lot of feeding challenges. And, um, so it just makes you, I think a more compassionate provider too, yeah. when you can empathize and relate. And not that we can't all empathize, but it, it does feel a little bit different once you become um, a parent um, to, to really understand some of the challenges that, that the families we serve are really going through. Absolutely. Um, I remember a pediatrician who had no children and then <laughs> had children and <laughs> admitted to me, yeah. oh, I don't say anything I used to oh, say. <laughs> I love when we have, um, uh-huh. I yeah, when we have like an OB who comes in who's never had children and they're now a client and I'm like, or, or an L&D nurse, I'm like, you're going to go back to work and be a totally different clinician. And they're like, yep, I am. Because they just, you just think it's different than what it is until you're doing it. So yes. they're my favorite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so great, Casey. Expansion speech. You are located in Fort Washington, right? Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. Fort so Washington. we are we're down the road from you guys, not too far away. Um, and you just opened up there, right? Yeah. So we have been here at our location for about a year. Prior to that, we were traveling to all of our clients. Um, and now we have a office for our home base. So that way we can see them here. We can do a little bit in home and, and in um, their natural environment. So um, a lot of times I'll even see some of our infants um, in daycares if they're back, um, parents are back working too. So we try to meet our, our clients where they're at. Great. Yeah. I, I think a hybrid thing is nice to have. <laughs> yeah. Option. And I've been in your office and it's very similar to like, I think the, um, atmosphere that we have here at the BRC it's kind of like someone's living room it's not this sterile exam room that you're in you've made it like a playroom for a child or you know or just a nice living room because that's what how our offices are and I found your office very very welcoming well thank you so much that took a lot of time and energy and we figured if we yeah yeah we needed to be here all this time we wanted to be comfortable and we wanted to make sure our families and, and their children were comfortable too yeah. so we really appreciate that thank you so much and is there like a national database if people are looking for an slp that they can go to because <clears throat> we have yeah, listeners absolutely. all over the world <laughs> yes absolutely so one of the databases that we are in that and you can also find other slps that um are focused and specially trained in feeding therapy is a website called feedingmatters.org. Okay. Um, they are wonderful and they have a ton of resources for families. Um, they're one of the first I give out actually if a family comes in with a child who has a pediatric feeding disorder, um, which is what we're, we're kind of talking about, right? Like there's either a medical comorbidity or feeding um, skill issue there are psychosocial issues right the the stress and anxiety of our, our families and par- uh, caregivers or maybe there's a nutritional deficit right, right. and so if uh, a patient presents with any one of those things they usually can have a diagnosis of pediatric feeding disorder um, which is relatively newer um, and so if they go to feeder feedingmatters.org they will find out what is pediatric feeding disorder they have an alliance that you can join. They have resources and support. And under the resources and support category, they have evidence-based practice, family guides, parent mentor um, programs, resource libraries, a provider directory. So that is just such a wonderful organization that gives a wealth of knowledge if any of the families that are listening to this are struggling with um, their kids eating, swallowing, um, any of that. Great, thank you that's what we really need is to like a one-stop place to find right. resources you know I, I think in all areas everybody's doing a little bit of something but uh to have one place that has it all is really helpful yeah that that's a great organization and they'll they'll talk um to families um who are struggling with a wide variety of things so maybe it is a baby that is struggling with breastfeeding 
or it is an infant that needs a feeding tube and they're a little bit more medically complex. So there is a wide variety of support that is out there for any of our families. And um, I just, I really do adore that organization. That's great. Any other things you wanted to share with us today? No, I don't think so. I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you about what um, SLPs can do for feeding and swallowing from infancy all the way through the lifespan. And, and um, this was great. I, I just appreciate the the opportunity so much. Well, and so often, you know, you're just going to your doctor and, you know, the I feel like the therapy component in every shape and form, whether it's PT, OT, SLP, what's mental health, mental health you know, yeah. like yeah. that is such a huge part of healing, you know, um, yeah. And that sometimes it gets looked over, especially by the insurance companies. Right, right. <laughs> well, by the insurance companies or even sometimes our, our pediatricians who yeah. I think are, are, we're so lucky in the area that we live in that we have so many great pediatricians. Um, but I do, I find sometimes that my families come in and say, I've been saying this for, you know, six months and no one's listening to me. And, um, yeah. you know, I always give our pediatricians the benefit of the doubt because they have, you know, 10, 15 minute appointments. Um, and sometimes they're looking for the, the most terrible bad things for mm -hmm. red flags. And, you know, I always tell my parents, trust your gut. You might not know what something is called, but you always know if something feels a little bit off. And if you come in for a, a consult with IBCLC or SLP or OT or PT, at best, they're going to give you a couple strategies and send you away. And at worst, you're going to get some therapy that is going to help your child. So um, I always tell families, listen, if, if something feels a little off, trust that that intuition and go for it. And, you know, we here at Expansion really like to make sure that we call and fax and provide all of our records over to the pediatricians so that everybody is on the same page. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I love that people trust their gut. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Casey. And we are going to call you back if there's something specific <laughs> we would like to talk about. Yeah. I'd be happy to serve anytime, any topic you want to talk about. I'm, I'm there for it. All right. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.